Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Dusek, and with us today is Karen Schubert. Karen is an author, co-founding director of Literary Youngstown, and multi-genre talented writer who has published poetry, fiction, creative nonfiction, essays, reviews, interviews, and any other views you might consider. She's published six books, and her prose poem collection, I Left My Wings on a Chair, was the Wick Poetry Center Poetry winner. Her awards include the William Dickey Memorial Broadside Award, an Ohio Arts Council Individual Excellence Award in Poetry, and has held residencies at the Headland Center for the Arts and the Vermont Studio Center. To learn more about Karen and her publications, please visit karenschubertpoetry.com. Karen, thank you so very much for joining me. Oh, this is such a kick. Thanks so much for bringing me on. I'm honored and chuffed. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Pleasure's all mine. Uh, (laughs) You want to start with a poem? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I'm going to read a poem from my collection, The Compost Reader. And um, this is kind of spring from something that happened at while I was in residence at the Vermont Studio Center. The cautions. The campus rec center is mostly empty, staff chatty before the quiet winter break ends. My first time in the gym, I change into sweats in a tight stall, eavesdrop on two women who come in from swim class talking about chlorination. One skin was so bad last vacation, she finally realized it was the water. I grab my coat, boots, bag, step out to ask about lockers. The woman sitting on the bench is naked from the waist up. So I quickly chuck my hair in the mirror. She says pink locks are for staff, but she never bothers. She looks into my reflected eyes above her round wrinkled shoulders, freckled chest, with a single breast dipping down. She pulls on a pant leg. Anyway, she says, I leave my purse in the office so there's not anything valuable to take. The other woman nods, says, it's a safe campus. I've never lost anything, she says. Thank you, it's wonderful. So let's start with your work as a teacher and community advocate. You've built a skill set that's highly effective at empowering others and promoting new writers. Could you please talk about your efforts a little and what drives you? Well, thank you for that. Um, The generosity um, embedded in that question, I really appreciate it. Um, I feel like I want to tell you a little bit about my my story, I guess. I washed up on the shores of Youngstown State as a non-traditional student to finish a degree that I had started in my youth. Um, and then life intervened, um, like in um, in Virginia Woolf's novels, Time Passes. And then um, I was so lucky that I um, ended up in Will Greenway's um, literature survey class. And he's a poet. So I asked him, is there a literary journal on campus? And 
he said, yeah, have you, you know, why are you writing? And I had this little fistful of poems and I showed them to him and he had some ideas for me and encouraged me to keep writing. And, um, and the poems are very amateurish, but I'm, you know, and I'm so grateful that he, he just encouraged me to, to continue exploring. So I finished my degree in three years and stayed in for a master's for another two. And then I um, did the Neo MFA. And in those eight years, I took creative writing classes all the way through. And you know, I edited um, the literary journals at Youngstown State and Cleveland State, and that gave me a seat at the table for some of the visiting writers that were coming in. And so I got to meet some incredible writers who gave me phenomenal advice, and I went to their readings and workshops and just had so many experiences. And I had people along the way who answered questions about publication and conferences and all of those things. And so those were so valuable to me that I want to create, make those experiences, experiences available to those who are seeking them, right? I mean, a community-based literary center is a little different from academia because people come in with different motivations and some are writing for themselves. Some want to tell, write their family story and some are really interested in, in honing their craft and publishing. And I love help, you know, like making a space for people to make their own goals, but I really love being able to offer those kinds of experiences that were so valuable to me to others it's just it's just so fun and of course you know by doing that I'm also making them available to me again right we've been able to bring in all these really cool writers and do lots of fun stuff so so that's what I'm up to that's nice and you had more of that space when because you you were on two you were in two different residencies um so what did those residencies entail and what did you work on while you were there Oh my gosh, residencies. I I used to joke that there's so much I could get done without it, adult responsibilities. <laughs> but it is just, right? It's such a generous space. I mean, the idea that you can just go there and create art all day and then show up for these meals that have been deliciously prepared for you and be completely surrounded by writers and visual artists and you're having the conversation of a lifetime every day. I mean, it's so, so wonderful. Um, and I, I've been wildly lucky. My first residency was at Headland Center for the Arts, which is funded by the Ohio Arts Council. It was really a life-changing experience for me. Um, and because it was a whole summer, you know, I was able to work on so many projects. I did some interviews and writing all kinds of different things. And I was editing and submitting for publication. And then in the afternoon, walking these paths along the shore in um, San Francisco. And oh my gosh, it was, it was pretty amazing. Made some uh, lifelong friends. Um, and same with Vermont Studio Center, although I was there in January. So it was a little bit different, but and that was a month. So I 
had a project that I wanted to start and I just came with tons of notes so that I would be able to find my way in. But in the morning I would get up and read a whole book of poems and then write, go to lunch, write, and then walk and then, um, you know, have dinner. And sometimes I wrote programs in the evening, um, just to stay, just essentially stay in that writing zone the whole time. It's, it's pretty amazing. And whenever I start thinking, oh, I'm so busy, I'll never write another poem again. You know, I just try to remember that I'm just busy. You know, as soon as I make a space for that, you know, I'll be able to, to do those things again. Yeah. And is that zone hard to obtain? You know, is it like easy to get into it? Or do you have to have because I know I need to have, uh, I need to have some <laughs> stability, you know, mentally, just, I have to be in a good space. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, when I was a student, I would, you know, be writing in, in my mind, in all of those empty spaces, you know, driving class or, or whatever, but that space is full now. (laughs) So (laughs) it is, it is really tricky. Um, I've been, it's just been concerning me that I'm not writing as much as I want to. So I, I did set some goals for myself and it helps to, you know, usually I have some kind of idea in mind before I sit down. So I'm facing the blank page in my mind out in the world before I sit down and face the blank page. Right. So, so for example, um, we are leading some monthly workshops we're calling poetry intensives and they're they meet once a month. And in the afternoon, we're having a different workshop leader come in and give a, a mini craft talk and then we look at everyone's poems through the lens of that element. Okay. So, so Mary Bittinger will be coming in next and she'll be talking about the strangeness of imagery and language in poetry. And so we'll be looking at all the poems to see where the strangeness is or could be. Um, and so I was, I've been sort of thinking about that and the other day I I was thinking to myself, like, I hate the way Facebook tracks us and I have Firefox and I have this little Firefox tracker so that whenever Facebook is trying to follow me around, I get this little icon so <laughs> that I know when to be annoyed. <laughs> and so I, it was amusing me though, too, because I was thinking, I bet Facebook doesn't even know what to advertise to me because my searches are so odd, right? Because I'm reading stuff and I'm like like the other day I was reading um the short wonderful short story by John Edgar Wideman um and and there's um there were all these references to Freddie Jackson the singer and I'm like oh Freddie Jackson who is that so I'm looking up I'm reading that and then then I did a search on bursitis because you know my shoulder's bothering me a little bit I'm like I wonder if that's bursitis I'm looking that up you know and why is my cat shivering you know and I watched these movies and I was wondering if they had won any awards so I thought oh that would be kind of a funny poem like the the ads that are showing up on my Facebook wall right so so that that's kind of one way to do it is just to have some ideas in mind so that by the time I sit down I've got some a jumping off place 
Um, but if I really, if I'm really stymied, um, a sure way in is reading. I try to, I read a, I read at least a book of poetry every month. And right now I'm working on my first Hanif Abdurraqib, um, because my, my book, my book cue is sort of like my Netflix cue, like everything goes in the back and I pull from the front. So it's never new, right? But this is Hanif's very first book, The Crown Ain't Worth Much. Oh my God, what a wonderful, exquisite, amazing book. And every poem of his is so vivid and reminds me of so many things. So I feel like that's that's always a great a great mini prompt is just to sit down with somebody else's wonderful poems and write your way out of that space. Yeah. Uh, do you get, do you get inspired reading? Cause I, when I read poetry, I want to write as soon as I'm done reading it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, you feel that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel that. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So how did you get involved with prose poetry? Because you uh, have full collection and um, I'm just wondering what advantages and disadvantages do you notice while working on that for an extended period of time? Um, I, I'm a big fan of prose poetry. Um, I think I first um, learned about it in a class I took on writing in form, but maybe was just sort of osmosis because it's kind of out there, you know, I mean, don't you love writing now where form is just one of the things that are going on that are shaping a poem and you know it's not like we have to like pretzel up our syntax to make moon and june be in the right places right yeah i really love that um and and i have some favorite um prose poets i mean nin andrews dear friend and i've read everything and um Kathy Mugoki, I was in an online workshop with the two of them for a while, and they're just masterful in the use of the prose poem. And I love how how talky it can be, how narrative. I love being able to mess around with tone and persona. But I don't actually start out writing um, a prose poem. I always start out with line breaks. And I'll just, at some point, I think, I just think to myself, there's something, just something about this poem that isn't working. And maybe I'll try some different forms. Like maybe there's not enough white space. Maybe it needs long lines, short lines. And then sometimes I'll put it in the prose poem format. And as I'm going back and forth, you know, you, it's such a great way of editing. You find the spongy spots, you find the, the leaps of logic that aren't just playful, but they're like, illogical (laughs) their (laughs) leaps of illogic you know and um and then sometimes it just lands in a in a prose poetry form and then I realize it's really it has this voice and it just you know it wants to be a little story but I love how prose poetry it doesn't have like the demands of fiction like I don't have to explain what's going on it's a poem yeah right it just jumps in and then it jumps out and and I think that's really fun too cool 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 so I want to talk about critiquing because you're an ardent reviewer and 
I read some of your interviews. They're great. I, I mean, the, the the critique work is admirable. I mean, you, your your essays and interviews, your language is real specific. You're aware of where the heart of the poem is. And I want to know, how did you get so good at this? Like, it's I know it's a skill you can practice, but how do you practice something like that? Besides just doing it, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I think um, it was at the end of grad school and the first few years after grad school, including my residency at Headlands, when I was interviewing um, poets I really admired that whom I had met um, and heard read and loved their work so much. Mm-hmm. And I love doing it, but it was terrifying. They're brilliant. You know, it's, you know, there's a real responsibility to it. You you can't pitch a dumb question, you know? I mean, we set it up so that we could do some post-mortem editing if we needed to, but, you know, still it's, you want to make it worthwhile, um, you know, you you want to give them a, a platform for expressing their their elegant, you know, beliefs and oh, just so much fun. So I the way I would, <laughs> yeah. So the way I would do it is, um, I would read all of the books they had read and just make lots of notes and and just always ask if this poem is making me feel something. How how is is how does it work? how did the poem do that? And then try and bring the poem into that space, you know, show me like, um, like sometimes there's a lot of tension in a, in a narrative because the, the poem ends at a moment and hints at what happens next but the tension is still there so how does I remember asking James Harms how do you know when to hand it off to the reader for example you know it's it was just really fun I think part of it too is I spent some time studying journalism okay and it helped me understand that language that narrative has a structure, right? So both a poem and a news article are delivering information. And, and the, way, the way it is delivering information is just as critical as what that information is. And it, it just made me aware of that, I think. And it also, there's this beautiful economy of language too that, that I had to learn, I think. And I really love that. Um, going in and taking out every word that isn't carrying its own weight, you know, and seeing how, how other people are doing that. And I, I took a, a little bit of linguistics too, just a bit, but maybe that's part of it too. Poetry is so much about language, right? Yeah. That's, that's its core, man. That's, yeah. Uh, so how would you recommend that other people talk about poetry, whether it's in a newspaper or in a review or, you know, you're just giving a workshop and you're talking to, you know, people who are just interested in the craft, but don't know much about it. What's the best way to approach it, do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, um, I hope someday that I, I would really love to someday have um, a column, a newspaper column. Okay. 
where I would um, sort of in the flavor of Ted Kuzier's American Life in Poetry. So I would like to feature Ohio poets. That would be awesome. Just tell a little bit about them and just a little like two sentences of lead into this poem. Like this is a poem about this or look how this is working. Um, I think I mean, there, I mean, there's this sense you hear people say no one reads poetry, but then as soon as you get into the poetry world, you realize everyone's in here. Yeah. Right. So that isn't really true. It's just that before you're all the way in, maybe sometimes there's a feeling that poetry is trying to pull a fast one or something, you know, and maybe that's because we read poetry in high school that was really iconic and pushing pushing a movement forward in a really important way but it doesn't necessarily represent contemporary work you know so um I've long thought that the poetry education needs updated yeah and also I mean yes bringing people to the present but also there's a more accessible past as well. For example, um, here in Youngstown, there was an Irish immigrant in the late 1800s named Michael McGovern. He he worked in the ironworks and he was a poet. They called him the puddler poet because that was his job was a, was a puddler in the ironworks. And he was a labor poet and he had a national following. So I think that there has have been a lot of times in our history when people just carried poems around, you know, that's what the broadside came from. It was small enough to just stick in your pocket. Cool. Okay. That's that's really interesting. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, let's talk, let's turn to your work because uh, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think the two biggest things that struck me while reading your work is one humor and two, empathy. You, you really use those. I actually consider those like crafting techniques for you. <laughs> you employ them very deliberately and very effectively. Um, so we'll start with humor. Where do you come up with your witticisms and how does that play creatively? Is it, are you just a really funny person, which I imagine you are, <laughs> but like how much, what I guess what I'm really asking is how much of that does comes out in editing and how much just flows onto the page when you start. Um, I don't think I start out with humor in mind. I just start writing a story maybe, but then, um, the humor becomes apparent because it's absurd. Um, (laughs) you know, I'm, I think part of it is being self-conscious. I'm always listening, listening to the things I'm saying and thinking, oh, that, that doesn't make sense or things out in the world that are contradictory or ironic I don't know I mean the way we use language in the culture is often it's if we took it apart and really looked at it right the things that we say every day um are odd yeah Uh, and so I I'm interested in in that stuff I you know I think about that um and language play and rage humor, um, just the contradictory weird stuff in life. But um, I would say if I sat down to write a funny poem, it probably wouldn't work. I'm 
sometimes I I want to write about something as if it were as if it were true, but obviously the reader sees that it's you know absurd. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's I think that's a thing that a lot of people voice is when they try to write humor, it comes across like you're trying too hard. It's easier to let it be what it wants to be, I guess. Yeah, yeah I think the the reader will it's like a little stone for the reader to 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 turn over yeah an an additional clue you can find if you're looking hard enough yeah exactly yeah um now when i said empathy what i meant by that is the the poems not only are deeply empathetic from the speaker's point of view or the, the the subjects in the poem but you also cover a huge range of social issues. I mean, you've covered everything from racial segregation to poverty and families and community development. Um, so where does empathy fit in for you and, and how does advocacy work for your writing? Is, it, is, that, is that a deliberate thing? I'm assuming, you know, more deliberate than perhaps writing jokes. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, it, that can be really hard because a heavy-handed poem just doesn't doesn't work at all um you know I'm reading um the the next book in our book discussion is um begin again James Baldwin's America and it's urgent lessons for our own um by um Eddie Glaude and um I was just reading this part where where James Baldwin was so affected by this iconic photograph of Dorothy Counts, who um, was attempting to um, desegregate her high school in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1957. And she's just walking pretty much unguarded by herself. And the people around her, these white people around her are just out of their minds with rage. And they they were spitting on her. There was actually globs of spit hanging off of her new dress. You know, and when James Baldwin saw this photo, he wasn't, um, he, the way he remembers it is that he was in France and he thought to himself, you know, I can't stay here in this beautiful world. I have to go back. And, you know, we can't let this happen that, that a 15 year old girl is carrying this burden by herself. And so I was talking to my mom about it and she's like, my God, you know, I know people are like this today too, but how does that, how can you? anyone be like that so I you know I think that and and I you know I had a tough my childhood was tough hers was as well and my own kids was tough so I think that we all came through trying to see for ourselves how you know how experiences are and how how they could be better um I think it was one reason why I was um, a Christian too. I was a very passionate Christian in high school. And I think I really was drawn in by that message of caring and kindness. I think all religions have that at that core, right? Just like, hey, hey, if we treated each other better, this place could be great, right? That's sort of the core of religion, right? And so I think I do try to write about that, but sometimes I just need to write it down and get it out of my system because that poem just isn't going anywhere. You can't, you can't write it, or I can't write a poem like that and have it be a successful poem. But if I can weave a little bit of that in, or maybe it can be 
a, a collection about Youngstown where there are some, some things maybe that gives me an editorial framework um, to talk about some things. Okay. Does having that conflict make it easier to compose the writing? I mean, no, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm always trying, just trying to step back, um, you know, from all the moralizing, you know, like just tell this in images, image, 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 right? And again, that's another stone for the reader to pick up how to feel about it. Um, and I, if I can paint the picture, maybe that, you know. Yeah, it sounds like that journalist side coming out where you're like, I'm giving you the facts and you make up your own mind, you know. Yeah, I think a good poem does that. If I tell you what to think, then what is there for you to discover? I, I just think that's a lesser pleasure. And I don't really like reading poems that are aggressively moralistic like that myself, right? It's not, it's not, it's not art. Even if it's important, then it should be an essay. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> there, right? There are ways to do it. Then it should be a film, but but not a poem. Yeah. Um, building off that last question, because your your styles feel you merge things when you when you're when you're writing, but you yourself are a a hybrid person. I mean, you you take this introspective craft like poetry and you you open it up for other people and you make it public. And you have every bit as much, you know, like you, you're an academic, but you're also an educator. As in like, because it's usually people are either really good at teaching or really good at studying, but you have both of those things. And I'm wondering where that hybridity comes from. Well, thank you so much. Um, just... <laughs> I'm just all over the place. I mean, the women in my family, they are finishers. They are list makers and they get things done. And that gene skipped me so hard. <laughs> I am just, I'm just a starter. <laughs> I don't even, I'm not even like simultaneous, right? I, I'm just, I've just got all these things open, 12 tabs open, and I'm reading five books at the same time. And I'm doing, even when I'm working on Lit Young's Time, I'm working on seven th different things in a day and moving from thing to thing. That's just, you know, I pick out the books in our book series and they're about, they're about all different styles and everything. I'm curious. I think maybe I got cur some curiosity from my dad's side of the family. I'm told my dad was very curious. Um, <laughs> But that's just, that's just kind of me. And I'm, I thrive in an environment where there's like a lot to think about, a lot of problems to solve. It's different every day. There are a lot of people to meet. There are interesting challenges. It's wide open. It can go so many places. You never reach the pinnacle, right? Yeah. Um, not to say that everything works, but, but there's so many different things to try. So um, so my challenge really is to just to make sure that I'm, um, I'm upping my follow, my follow through game and just making sure that, you know, all of those details are cared for and that all the people are 
cared for, you know, there's a lot of responsibility in the, in at least the organization, but, but for writing, you know, I love trying all kinds of things. I mean, I mean, I've got a novel who doesn't, but I've got a novel writing fantasy, like everybody, right. You, right. You're in, in the room and you, you, you come out, there's all these Chinese carryout boxes all around and you're all haggard, right. And then you've got the, you've got the thing, you know, I want to try more creative nonfiction, um, some, some essays and, you know, that's just, that's just, it's so fun. It's all so fun. How do you stay focused on a project? Do you write and then you look at your stuff and say, oh, you know what? I'm like three quarters of the way to the finish line. Let's vault across. Or is it because you're pulled in so many directions? I mean, I, it, it's got to be tough knowing which objective to to pick out um I'm working on my first project poetry project I mean before that I I just collected poems that existed and seemed to go together but um this is a project of prose poems um that are centering around my childhood experiences in the late 60s early 70s and transient suburbia and at the time this is um you know James Baldwin I remember um debates of of James Baldwin on on television I remember sitting by myself on the on the floor um watching on a black and white tv you know James Baldwin having these really spirited discussions you know I was probably 10 or something and um and so I really made a lot of progress at Vermont Studio Center and and I've sort of limped along a little bit but this summer I set up a little mini residency with a few friends and and my goal is to really see if I can complete that project I feel like it's really close I just need a few connectors I think maybe what takes me across the finish line is that I do have wishes to to publish I mean when my first full-length book came out it made me so so happy you know and so I do want to have those kinds of experiences and participate in those conversations so I think I think probably that's that's a big motivator. Nice. Where did the residency project come out of? Um, you know, I think because my family was so much in transition and so was the, the country. Um, I mean, everything was going on then, you know, I mean, the, there were riots in the cities, the women's movement, civil rights. Um, and I remember those years, those three or four years more vividly than any time, any other time in my life, uh, even high school. And so it's sort of been in the back of my mind that, that I wanted to write about it. And I didn't really know how, I think I, I started a an essay and I've, I've written, I've woven some of that stuff into a few poems, but it just seemed like so much material was there that I just wanted to give it a try. Mm. And how's the residency going to work when you guys get together? Is it a residency for other people or are you guys doing like an incubator? There's like five of us in this um, 
they call it a cabin. It's like a palace in the woods in the Mohican State Park. It looks gorgeous. I'm so excited. <laughs> <I'm> yeah. <nervous. laughs> we'll be there about five days, I think. Um, we'll take turns cooking. You know, it. of course, I didn't make up this concept. And I've been so jealous to see my friends posting their, their DIY residencies. And I'm like, all right, this year we're going we're gonna to make this happen. And plus it seems safer, right? Just a few people. But um, yeah, but I think we'll, I don't know yet. We haven't gotten that far, but I think, um, cause it's up, coming up in the summer, but I think we'll probably share each other, share work with each other and just maybe, cause I'll have a manuscript to share. I bet some of them will as well. Most of this group are retired and that's like a permanent residency, right? <laughs> that looks really fun <laughs> <laughs> for the second time in five minutes i'm envious <laughs> i know right I know. you consider yourself a poet first or an educator um i think right now i have to see myself as an administrator um, because that's really taking up most of my time. Um, and I, and that can accommodate, um, you know, so just between me, I'll tell you a secret that but no one else will hear <laughs> you and me exactly. But whenever I feel like I'm not doing something as much as I want to be doing that, I start a program and then it makes me do it. <laughs> So I felt like I wasn't making enough time for reading, for example, because I was just working so much. So I started a book discussion. And so the the poetry intensives really didn't come from me because we did a community survey and some of our writers were saying, hey, you're doing great with a lot of stuff that skips along the surface. So there's a workshop here and a workshop there. You've got this great festival but there's nothing that really ties it together. There's no depth mm. and continuity. And so I thought, well, well, let's try this all day workshop for, we'll just do it for nine months. Um, and then, um, then also PS Karen, you can pony up a little time to write um, a poem. So I, I can get that stuff in there occasionally I um I can teach as well like I'll be oh I'm so excited about this we have a wonderful museum art museum um that is part of the of Youngstown State and they brought in an incredible photography show by the Cleveland photographer um Don Black Donald Black pretty sure that's the right name and his and so I'll be leading an acrostic workshop for kids. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, students in five to eight on these photographs, and the photographs are absolutely exquisite. I mean, just they are the photographs are what a good piece of writing should be, right? They're so so specific and so elegant and perfectly described and so unique. You know, just there's all this tension and movement and emotion you know I I'm really excited about showing talking to the kids about that you know and see seeing what they'll write so I so my right is my role as an administrator can can accommodate those other things as well 
That's clever. (laughs) (laughs) How how has Lit Youngstown been? Because you you've been with it for since the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I started. It was my idea. Um, We started in 2015. Nice. And and how how has that gone since then? What do what do you guys? I know you guys are getting big, and it's awesome. I want to get to a couple of your events this year. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Well, so we are putting together the Fall Literary Festival Planning Committee. They're going to be meeting soon, and we will pick a theme for the festival, and then we'll put out our call for submission. So I hope you consider um, submitting. You know, I could see a a talk on uh, creating a podcast, or, you know, you could read your poems, talk about starting a literary arts nonprofit. I mean, so many, so many things. That's been a real, a real high spot for me. These conferences are just so much fun. I mean, last year, we had been um, solidly east of the Mississippi River. And last, last year, we had people come fly in from California. I mean, just, writers I admire I mean just such a thrill oh that's fantastic so if I'm if I'm uh if I'm looking to go to uh, the festival this year what would I expect what can I expect um so we have an evening um this is how it has been we have an evening gathering in which is just um meeting for tacos and an open mic and then two days of five concurrent sessions all day, both days, and then an evening reading, um, evening readings on Friday and Saturday. This year, it'll be a little bit different because we're bringing in the, a, the, a filmmaker, Carla Murphy, created a film on, um, on Youngstown. It's really about, I, I think the heart of the film is when a place is suffering so much, what makes young professionals stay you know what and and the title of it is the place that makes us um and so because of the pandemic there hasn't been a community-wide screening of the film so we're gonna do that as part of the festival so we'll show that film at night and then have you know talk to her Carla and and bring some people from the community in to talk about the story, the story of Youngstown, the story of filmmaking. Nice. And then Joy Priest is a um, poet from Houston. She's coming in and um, she's from Louisville getting a PhD in Houston. And also Kelly Forden from Detroit is coming in as a fiction writer and also um, screenwriter and film scholar Laura Beedling of Youngstown State. Okay, cool. And that's that's October 20th through the 22nd? Yes. Okay, cool. All right. Um, well, would you like to read a second poem before we wrap up? Yes, please. I'm going to read the title poem from the compost reader and I, so I, I do kind of remember um, the day I was like, I'm a very enthusiastic compost, um, composter. And I remember the day when I was looking at my compost thinking, what could someone know about me from looking at this compost? Or what if there was like a professional compost reader that you could bring in 
to tell you about yourself, like, you know, like a palm reader, right? Yeah. The, the compost reader. You are a person of contradiction. Observe the pomegranate, the way each seed has been extracted. The presence of pomegranate denotes patience, passion, self-indulgence. But see how the seeds are not so much scooped as torn from their rough and broken cavities. And the dark coffee grounds still in the unbleached filter. Obviously, you miss your best friend from fourth grade, the one with lavender tissues and her shiny purse. Hmm. Eggshells not tucked into each other like passengers on a train, but scattered far from their mates. Here, a pile of moth-webbed cornmeal, hot pepper seeds, potato eyes, beetroots, quick to anger. And these red-soaked slices of orange spiked with cloves, dinner party. You're afraid of the dark. Look at the layers of leaves, not raked in fall, but scooped out from under snow to cover 11 baby roses and the charred skin of a butternut squash. It's not so much that you miss your friend and her rhinestone barrettes, her sisters with J names. You wanted to be her. Amazing. Love the imagery. Thank you. All right. Well, this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Karen, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you.